Hey you and welcome to Pillars, here to inspire you with personal stories from LGBTQ people who have overcome their own social, cultural or psychological challenges and use those very personal experiences to motivate their own self-empowerment. I'm Jordan Yediman and I believe that individual self-empowerment is key to strengthening our community. So I want to introduce you to some of our amazing community pillars to hear their stories, learn from their lessons and find out what advice they might have for people in similar circumstances. Let's strengthen the community by empowering individuals because we can't build a home out of broken bricks. We need pillars. Hey everyone, what's going on? Yeah, how you doing? Um, I hope you're doing okay. I am. <laughs> I feel like a really good mood today. Um, not only because, well, the sun is shining, the sky is blue, it's warm. I've been waiting months for this, months. Um, yeah, and I went on a nice bike ride earlier as well. I had a chippy lunch, which always helps. But mainly, obviously, I'm excited and I'm happy because this is the first episode of Pillars which I'm equally as excited and nervous about. So I've got a little gin on the side. Uh, it's five o'clock somewhere. Um, have you tried Palmer Violet Gin, by the way? What a game changer. My name is Jordan and... <laughs> I don't need a segue. And what? My name is Jordan and together, you and me, over the next few weeks, we're going to be meeting some really inspirational people who have overcome their personal challenges as LGBTIQ people and use those challenges to motivate their own self-empowerment. What I'm really, really interested in is actually meeting people who have got different experiences to mine because behind all the posters and the campaigns and the rainbow flags and the clenched fists and the social media profiles and the blogs and the podcasts, there are individuals all with very, very different stories to tell. And I want to meet them. I want to find out what it is we have in common. What can we learn from our differences? And how can we better empower ourselves to serve our community better? That's why I decided to just grab this by the balls and start it against the odds, against all my self-judgment. I'll go into my own personal story in a bit. But I just want to take this opportunity to tell you that this podcast itself is a massive personal challenge for me. Um, the fact that I'm sat here recording this is a huge achievement and I'm just going to like praise myself for a second and be like, do you know what? You did it against all odds, against your anxiety, against your self-doubt, against your imposter syndrome. You put it out there. So big up me for standing up and trusting this process and believing in myself enough to to put this out there. Um uh, initially there was going to be no solo episodes I was only planning on meeting people and hearing their stories and learning from their experiences but I think a lot has changed and I think now in hindsight this does feel like the most uh, authentic and honest way to build a relationship and to build trust which I hope will evolve as we go on um, but for now we need to talk about what's going on around us. Um, and I wasn't going to bring this up as like a topic of a episode or anything, but, and there's no easy way to say this, but we're in the middle of a global coronavirus pandemic right now and we're all on lockdown. And being in this state of forced isolation, it kind of feels more like prevalent than before, even that I'm here wanting to discuss themes around self-empowerment and individual value away from, you know, having to rely on trends and tribes and finding your place there um so yeah it feels really important that during this this period i'm sat here talking about this because this is exactly what the pillars message is about it's about learning to 
acknowledge our own value as individuals um, first and foremost and how can we embrace our self-worth so that we are able to better serve queer spaces and better serve queer um, narratives as strong wholesome empowered individuals I truly believe in in community and the the need for unity but I believe even more that we must strive to find our own voice and own our own position in those spaces um, the way pillars came about was because I was I was at a party and we were discussing how we could um, make the community stronger like what was missing and I said I think the issue might be that we historically have and have a history of um, coming from places where we don't belong or where we aren't engaged or we feel like we're displaced so we turned to the queer community um, or the LGBTI community for a sense of belonging and um, acceptance and support but very often you know we're all going through the same thing um, a lot of us have never been taught how to support ourselves let alone other people so I said how do broken people support other broken people? You can't build a home out of broken bricks. You need pillars. Also, we know, and there's no point shying away from it, um, that the LGBTIQ community better serves some people than it does serve others. Um, and within the community, we do have our own issues to work out. Um, racism, racial fetishism, biphobia, transphobia, body shaming, slut shaming, and... If you're coming from a place where you feel like you don't belong or you feel like you might have been displaced before, it can, for some, end up feeling like they're being let down. Um, especially if you're coming from a background or a family or a culture where you haven't been accepting it's your queerness, which is the reason you're um, feeling out of place there. Um, and if that's the case, are is that person really going to want to turn to the queer community and try and find a place of belonging there when their queerness was the reason that they they were they didn't feel like they belonged um or they weren't accepted by their family for example or from their culture or their religion even so we have to learn to find our own values so that we are able to better serve those spaces when we choose to engage in them it goes without saying that I love queer spaces and queer campaigns and I think they're key in giving more visibility to queer narratives and queer people. But it has to start with the individual and I'm not saying that everyone should be walking around waving rainbow flags and knowing exactly who they are and what they have to offer. But we should be able to enter those spaces confidently, compassionately and knowing who we are and what we bring to the table. But also learning to acknowledge our personal value first and foremost so that we can then better serve those spaces. That's what the pillars message is. It's about understanding that we've all been through it. We're still going through it. And if you allow them those challenges, that pain, those things that you never thought you'd be able to overcome can become your biggest strengths. And the reason you start to open up and feel empowered and stand proud like a pillar, it's like, you know when you get a flight and the safety announcement says you should always put on your own oxygen mask before helping others. That's not because you don't care and you don't want them that don't want that person to not have any oxygen. That's because you can't physically help someone if you can't breathe. And that's what I'm talking about. Ensuring that we are in the best possible position for ourselves first and foremost so that we are then better able to support others who may need that support. And if that's not your vibe, maybe you could just be more open and happy and feel lighter and feel like you can have a lot more fun with life.
I wanted to give you like a quick recap of what led me to creating Pillars and starting this. So I've been volunteering with Diversity Role Models for about four years now. And if you haven't heard of them, please go and check out diversityrolemodels.org. They're an amazing organization. We go into schools, we talk about homophobia, biphobia and transphobia from an anti-bullying point of view. Um, I'm going to be speaking to Jack Bastian from Diversity Role Models in another episode. So we'll go a bit deeper into work there. But essentially, we try to um, get the pupils to understand that identity is made up of all lots of different pieces and that we shouldn't be discriminating for any of those pieces and try to get them to understand what it might be like if they were being picked on for any part of their identity, whether it's race, ethnicity, gender, um, ability. Um, yeah, and then we can't and then we ask them to try and understand it from um, a homophobia, biphobia or transphobic point of view. The sessions are amazing. Literally watching these kids' um, perspectives and their mindsets change in the short time we're in there, it's like literally witnessing history change because I know that maybe when that kid grows up and they have children, they may remember these sessions and maybe, maybe teach them different values to maybe what they've been taught before. I said maybe like five times then, but whatever. And hopefully that will get passed on and on and so on and so forth. And then in future generations time, these these sessions will be a lot less needed. For some of these kids, it's the first time they've had a conversation about um, LGBTQ people um, openly, you know, and also for a lot of them, it's the first time they've met openly queer people. And they always say how, how wonderful and interesting it is to have heard people's personal stories. And at the end of the session, we give the kids um, a post-it note and we get them to ask us anonymous questions and we stand up in front of the class and we answer them honestly. Um, and undoubtedly, some of the main questions we get are around race, religion, culture, upbringing, um, background, family, family influences, God, Allah, um, religious texts, all of these questions. And I thought it's so wonderful that we're doing this in schools, but there's adults out there with these questions and wanting to engage in conversations, but uh, feel like they are unable to or uncomfortable doing so because of um, this, their, their personal situation, be it cultural or religious or just not being able to feel comfortable um, to come out or to reach out to anybody. So I figured that we should record relatable stories from people um, who may have been through similar circumstances and experiences and put them on a podcast which is relatively discreet and you can slip your phone in the pocket if you don't want to engage publicly in the conversation or maybe you're just looking for some inspiration and someone to encourage you to feel better about a situation that you may have got yourself into for example on that note i just want to make the point as well that it's very easy to say you know we should all be practicing self-love and looking for empowerment in ourselves um that's a lot easier said than done, especially for people who um, minds are clouded by their experience or are struggling to connect with themselves or are really struggling to see that value in themselves. That was certainly my case for a very, very long time. And although I always wanted to feel empowered and I wanted to feel um, independent and, you know, uh, like I had this worth in me that like, was driving me forward, um, I really didn't know how to find that. Um, We've all seen the memes online and inspirational quotes, more self-love, baby girl, you know, um, grow through what you go through, all those kind of things. But what is self-love anyway? Like, what does that mean? For ages, I was thinking, cool, yeah, self-love, but like, what does that even mean? Self-love for, like, for how does that happen? How do you just do self-love? Um, and it 
it caused me even more stress and anxiety a long time for for a long time because I was thinking, God, like how how could I not do this? Like everyone else seems to be doing self love and finding their purpose and discovering their passions and following their dreams, and there's me over here thinking, what the fuck even is that? So the other thing that I want to do with pillars is through donations and funding. Um, so if you go to pillars.org.uk, you can click donate and you can donate if you wish. Is I want to be able to run some workshops and events with experts in self-esteem building, confidence building, communication, value finding, self-care, meditation, you know, learning new skills, budgeting if that's what you need. Anything that makes people feel like they are empowering themselves, doing things for themselves and taking um, some control of their life. That's the future goal. Um, the idea is that the podcast will inspire people with these stories and that then we'll be able to facilitate that empowerment by running some workshops as well. So that's long term. Um, now would probably be a good time to do some outreach. If you know anybody who would be able to help with that or you want to get involved in any way, then you can go on to pillars.org.uk and you can contact me there. And of course, I would love you, <laughs> I don't know why I did that, I would love you to join in the conversation on Instagram and Twitter at LGBTQ Pillars. And if you want to know a little bit more about me, my Instagram is, it's called to be nice, number two, and I also have a blog which is elbowsout.org.uk. Um, enough self-promotion. However, I do feel like in this context it's important that maybe you get to know me like a little bit better. As I said, I really want to I really want to move forward from here with a with a with a strong trust. Um, I recognise that obviously I'm asking people to share their personal stories with me, um, and they might be some they might be some quite sensitive topics. So I don't want anyone to ever think that I'm taking that that position for granted in any way whatsoever. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about my experience and some of the challenges that I've faced. So you kind of feel like maybe you know me a little bit better, and um, you know my perspective, where I'm coming from. Um, bear with me. Like I said, I wasn't really planning on doing a solo episode, um, especially in the series right off the bat like this. So um, also have like probably now a good time to mention I have pretty bad ADHD. So I tend to go off on tangents sometimes. Um, I'll try and uh, I'll try and recognize that, and pull it back in. But here we are in isolation in lockdown and um, two quite monumental timestamps for me yesterday was um, one year since I received an ADHD diagnosis, which is um, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder so if you know anything about ADHD or you know how that works or you know how that affects thoughts and emotions um, processing information that kind of thing then you'll know that um, that probably would have had that has had um, a big effect on my mental health um, the fact that I've lived with it for 32 years and it's never been diagnosed learning to manage that has um, broken down so many barriers that I've had previously um, to work and projects and self-image and self-esteem and confidence and that kind of thing. Um, on, on the other side is tomorrow is actually one year since I did chems for the last time. So I've had a year free of chems um, and um, that's a huge achievement for me because when I look back at last year and I think I, I, I just remember thinking that it's something I always wanted to be able to say and I didn't know if it was ever possible. Um, I wanted to know how I felt. I wanted to know um, what it was like, how what my relationships were like, um, what, I, what my self-image was like in a year's time. And now knowing that and feeling great about it and feeling wonderful and feeling very achieved and very accomplished, um, I can say that it's it's an amazing feeling actually. But what 
I wish someone had told me a year ago or two years ago, three years ago, is that there's me thinking that there's this is how it is and there's no other way and I'm not even sure how I could possibly belong another way now. Um, but, you know, learning that there is another way, that like this is the way um, and everyone is capable of that. It just takes some work. It takes some inspiration. It takes some support. But um, everyone is capable of it and there is, you know, a happier way to be, healthier way to be. Um, I don't tell the kids that in school. Um, I'm not qualified to talk about alcohol or drugs or sex or anything like that in a school setting. We just talk about bullying. But we do tell them our personal stories of our coming out. Um, and mine starts in Devon. So <laughs> I don't know if you've seen Pure on Netflix, but basically I worked out last night that Marnie was exactly the same as me when I first moved to London. Really awkward, really saying they're always saying the wrong things so uncool trying to get out and be seen and meet people and try all these different things and um yeah, it's just really funny watching it because it was a great reflection so that was me basically when I moved to London but I'm actually from Devon um and when I grew up in Devon it was the 90s there was very very few um visible LGBTIQ people on TV there was certainly no one in my town um anybody that I knew um who might be gay was you know it was always um, a maybe, as in, oh, I think that person might be gay, or, or you know, or do you think they're gay? And it, it was always discussed as if it was, like, something to be ashamed of or something funny or something to take the piss out of. Um, so certainly on TV. So, for example, there was um, Julian Clary. There was Eddie Izzard. Um, who else was there? That's it. Oh, well, obviously Freddie Mercury and George Michael, but... My reference points in that case were Freddie Mercury, who died of AIDS, um, George Michael, who had sex with people in toilets, and then Eddie Izzard and um, Julian Clary, who wore makeup and heels. So I didn't think that I was gay because I didn't associate with any of that stuff. Like, Also, the language that was being used was had a huge, huge impact on the way I thought about gay people and the way I thought about myself. Um, I remember when Graham Norton came out on TV and someone in my family said, oh, turn that puffer off. I don't want to see, I don't want to see him on TV. And I've, I was like thinking, hang on a minute. So if I'm gay, then people aren't going to want to like see me or speak to me. They don't want to know about me. When I started secondary school as well, you know, I was bullied. Um, not massively. I mean, I wouldn't say it was hard bullying, but it was like name calling and stuff. But, you know, when you're growing up in a small town and you find it very hard to connect um, to what's being taught around you and to engage in the kind of morals or the family values that you're being taught and you don't really know why you don't connect with it but you just know that like that's not for me it makes you feel very small and vulnerable and it makes you feel very out of place um, I didn't feel that bad until I started secondary school and then it was like you know then it, people you know, people were growing up and going through puberty and stuff and dating girls and I did date girls but I guess I was quite effeminate or quite camp, um, which I hated at the time. I used to try and try and try and walk like stiffer and walk more masculine, talk with a lower voice because people would call me gay boy and they'd say, oh, faggot, oh, bender and all this kind of thing. And I was just like, like, I didn't even know that I was gay because the way they were saying it was so bad and so shameful and so something that I should um, try and hide or something that, you know, I was trying to deny so much that, it didn't occur to me in any way that I would be gay because I didn't feel like a bad person. I didn't feel 
um, I didn't feel like I I was like I didn't feel like I was stupid or, or anything like that. So it just didn't occur to me that I was this thing they were calling me. Um, when I did start to fancy boys, I always had in the back of my mind, hang on a minute. So they're taking the piss out of each other just as banter, calling each other gay and stuff. And that guy over there is being bullied for being gay and he's definitely not. So what if I come out as gay? Because they're bullying him and he's not even gay. Um, so I didn't come out. I didn't come out at all. I denied it. I tried dating girls. It made me feel horrendous. Um, just carrying that kind of um, denial and hiding that part of you for so long um, gets really deep rooted into you. It just makes, you know, that what they say, like if you if you tell yourself something enough, then you start to believe it. And that is certainly true of me. I was like, okay, I can't share this piece of information about me, this part of my identity. I have to hide it. And I just carried on hiding it all the way through up until about 17, 18. Um, when I came out to one family member and they called my mum and told her. So that wasn't so bad as such. It's just that that experience and that kind of coming out was taken away from me. So again, I recoiled because I really didn't want anybody um, to, to, to run free with this information that I was trying to be so sensitive and so um, careful with. Um, that made me feel, again, like I couldn't really trust anybody or couldn't tell anybody. Um, at the same time, my family actually broke up from a divorce. So mum and dad split off. Mum went one way, dad went the other. They both moved to different countries. Um, and this kind of secret or this thing that I was trying to share was out there in the open. Um, and not being addressed. And no one spoke to me and no one said to me, um, you know, no one said to me, it's okay. Like, we love you. We'll talk you through it. And it's not because they didn't. It's just that at the same time, they were going through their own pain and the family was splitting up and there was a lot going on. Um, I moved in with some friends. I tried to tell um, another friend. They all knew anyway by that point, I think. But I tried to officially tell one of my friends um, that I liked this guy. And it got back to him and he essentially thought I was trying to spread rumours about him and I lost loads of friends there as well. Um, and I just felt like, do you know what, this whole experience is awful, I'm going to have to leave. So I, I moved to Essex and I got into really, uh, like abuse, an abusive relationship basically up there. That went on for like two or three um, years and I ended up just having to run away from him and move back to Plymouth where I'd already cut loads of ties and I didn't have anywhere to go. So I ended up sleeping on people's sofas and stuff for a few months um, until I basically ran out of sofas and I ended up homeless, having to walk in with like three suitcases of clothes and stuff into the homeless office and ask for help. Um, what happened then was I was put in a homeless accommodation um, which was not just LGBTIQ people, it was everybody. And they were pretty unsavory. There were people using drugs. There were, you know, um, there were people trying to kick my door in. They were, they were shouting homophobic things at me in the hallways. They poured all my food into a sink and then poured all my washing liquid on top of it. Um, I didn't have any money, obviously, so I couldn't buy any more. Um, but I had a great support worker who decided that obviously, although I wasn't in any vulnerable state, as in I wasn't um, sick or I wasn't using any drugs or anything like that, they decided that I was vulnerable in that situation and they rushed me through the process and I'm really lucky that within about nine months I had a house of my own or a flat of my own, which I know that sounds like a long time, but that's really, really quick. Um, that gave me a lot of space for, a, for, for reflection there. Um, and I decided that I'd hit the lowest of the low and, 
you know, I'd finally have this this flat of my flat of my own. I decorated it the way I wanted. It was really great. Um, but you know, things were still not good in my head. I still had really low confidence. I still have I had quite a quite a turbulent relationship with my family because I'd ended up in this situation and they weren't really even aware of um the full depth of it and I couldn't really share it with them because by that point we'd kind of drifted apart quite a lot. So I decided um I really just had to do it for myself and I was gonna make sure that I never ever ended up in that situation again. So I had met some friends in S- when I was living in Essex and they'd moved into London by this point. And one of my friends was like, you need to move up here and, you know, I'll look after you. We'll, you know, I'll show you about, introduce you to those people, you know, have have a good time. It's going to be great. Of course, I did that. I didn't have any way of doing it. So I decided I was going to apply for uni because the only way <laughs> that was the only way I could get some money to do it. Um, and what I had to do was write to my uni and tell them I had to delay starting by a week because um, some family stuff. But actually what I had to do was wait for my student loan to come in so that I had enough money to um, A, buy a ticket up and B, put a deposit down somewhere. So I moved up with over nowhere to live. I stayed with my friend for a few days, ran around town trying to find houses and flats and things. And like, for, and like a few days later, I moved in. So that's how I got to London. Now, I'm really, really pleased I did it, of course. Um, since moving here, I've met some wonderful people. My experience has been great in terms of, um, you know, opening my perspectives and, um, just really uh, the way, the way I've seen, seen myself progress and the way I've seen my, myself, myself personally become, become more evolved. I'm really proud of that. However, the first few years were, were pretty, pretty hard because I didn't know that many people. I'd started uni. I was one of the oldest ones in the on my course um i didn't realize i had adhd then as well so trying to do a degree after that many years away from school and not knowing i had adhd i had several breakdowns the whole thing was awful i struggled very hard on that degree um and also going to like the gay scene and seeing lots of people that like weren't like me were getting all the attention all the promotion for all the flyers and club nights and stuff had pictures of boys on and none of them looked like me. I'd go onto Grinder, for example, and I'd be talking to people and I'd send them pictures and they'd say, no, you're not my type. But what I found was like, if I, for example, had been on a night out and I'd done some chems, then I would be able to go on Grinder and find other people who had taken chems and they didn't seem to, they didn't seem to have those, I guess those standards or they didn't seem to bother that I wasn't their type or um, what, or or that I wasn't the, that had the right body or whatever. They were just happy to meet up because they were in the same position as me. So I kind of felt this weird place of acceptance there where I was able to do, to meet people, to be sexually active, to feel attractive. And yeah, that became my, that became how I facilitated my intimacy for the next three years or so. So I knew it was becoming problematic or to the point that I was not <clears throat> not comfortable with the amount that I was doing. I wouldn't say problematic. I wasn't, um, you know, getting fired from my job or anything like that. But um, it, I was not comfortable with the amount that it was happening. And I was not comfortable with the way <clears throat> that I was relying on it for, for intimacy. I wasn't having any sober sex. So I went to see David Stewart at 56 Dean Street and um, over the course of a couple of years I went back after you know I did it wasn't straightforward I didn't just go and see see them and I was you know I'd stopped doing it it, it took a few years for me to um, to basically reduce it 
and then introduced sober sex and then to a point where like I said I'm now a year without it and I'm very very pleased and proud and feel wonderful and happy and very uh, light and just great that I'm able to sit here and do this because like I said a year ago I didn't know if that was even possible it was actually in one of those sessions that I like broke down to David and he was the one that told me that um that I should get on with this and I should be doing I should start this campaign and podcast myself because I was always looking for excuses and people to give me opportunities and I was saying I want to work in this area and I want to do this and I want to support people I want to empower people um and um he said well why are you looking to why are you looking for other people to give the opportunity make the opportunity for yourself um and that was the first time anyone had ever said to me that I could go away and do it myself um and I guess that's the takeaway that I want you to take from that story is that for ages I was wanting someone to pull me out of that situation for ages I was wanting myself to someone to give me an opportunity so that I could be saved or um (laughs) suddenly suddenly be enlightened and feel good and be cured and all these things but David told me that I actually had that in myself and that I should go away and I should put that in motion because he said there's a lot of other people out there who will be sharing similar experiences to you and thinking the same thing. And they need to be reminded as well that they have it in themselves. They have the power and they have the ability to um, empower themselves and to create what it is that they're wanting to create. So that's what I want you to take away from that. Um, thanks for listening to me ramble on. I just thought it was important that I kind of give a bit of a brief or not so brief introduction. I'll be happy to um, share and expand on these points as we go through in the interest of building trust and transparency, um, of course. But for now, thanks so much for listening. And I really feel like we're onto a beautiful thing here. So thanks for getting involved. Chat soon. Thank you so much for listening to this episode today. Honestly, it means the world that you chose to join me. If you liked it, subscribe. And of course, please make sure that you share with your friends. I'd really like you to get involved in the conversation as well. So head over to Twitter or Instagram at LGBTQ Pillars, or you can get in contact at www.pillars.org.uk where you can find out about upcoming events, all our guest profiles and contact me to get involved. And remember, we can't build a home out of broken bricks. We need Pillars. Pillars.